the first chapter. Thank you, Lord. And we want to read verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to shew unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. I want to just read one little phrase of this, the first phrase found in this first sentence, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. Notice the reading of this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Now notice the first part of this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And this is what I want to preach to you tonight on the subject, the mystery of godliness. Now what the Apostle Paul is telling the young preacher, Timothy, he said there is a mystery involved in the works of the Lord. In this particular case, he's talking about the mystery of the Godhead. We know that because of the context of the Scripture. But he said it is without controversy or without argument. And this is the way he said it, is, said it was. God was manifest in the flesh. All right? He was justified in the Spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and received up into glory. Now you notice this particular mystery is revealed in this fashion. And of course, when we look at this, Part of this we attribute to God Himself and part of it to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what He's saying here that they are inseparable. Now let's go to Isaiah 53. And this will be the basis of my message tonight. Isaiah 53 who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The revelation of the arm of the Lord. 
is the subject found in verse 2 through the remaining scriptures of Isaiah 53, the revelation of His mighty arm. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? These, or this particular scripture has two things that I want to preach about tonight. One is the arm of the Lord and one is the revelation of God. So these two statements we want to talk about. First, let's talk about the word revealed. I personally believe that you and I live in a kingdom separate and distinct from any other kingdom. Basically, the Bible talks about two kingdoms, and that is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And I would like to point out they are two distinct kingdoms. A kingdom simply means that it is an order that is ruled by a king. The Bible speaks of the kingdom of darkness. It also speaks of the kingdom of light. If you turn to Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 11. Now Jesus is speaking in parables in Matthew 13. Jesus gives seven parables. And in these parables, He speaks of certain happenings that uh, are relative to particular events that could transpire in any person's life. Now, if you notice in, in his explanation of these parables, he gives parables, and when Jesus gives parables, he gives them for a reason. The lowest, most simple form of explanation that Christ could possibly use to explain his kingdom can not be understood by unbelievers. He uses the simplest form possible. But notice, it cannot be understood by unbelievers. And this is what we want to speak to you about tonight, about the revelation of His kingdom. In chapter 13, verse 11, well, let's read verse uh, verse 9. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Notice this. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. It is not given. Now, if you want a real good comparison of the two kingdoms of light and darkness, it would be wise for us to turn to Second Corinthians, the third chapter, and minister for a few moments as we go through these particular scriptures. Second Corinthians 3 and I would like to start reading about uh, verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, 
we use great plainness of speech. In other words, plainness here means we use great boldness of speech. Seeing then we have such great hope, we use great boldness of speech. There is a reason why that in many cases, Christians that are meek and Christians that are humble are misinterpreted by people outside of the church. Remember, meekness is a characteristic that, that is a, acquainted with God that is grossly misunderstood. Moses was considered the meekest man on the face of the earth, and yet you cannot find, after God really used him, a bolder man than Moses. Moses, the meekest man, was also the man that stood between God and Israel. And when God says, I'm going to smite them all down, Moses stood there and said, Not so, Lord. He said, If you smite them, you've got to take me out of the way. I'm going to stand between you and these people. He said, You have promised that you will raise up a great nation from the seed of Abraham, and you're not going to smite them down. He said, if you take them, you've got to take me first. Remember, Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Okay? And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, because we have great hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Praise God. I'm glad that I can stand here and say the hope of all Christians is not in this world, but in the world to come. The Bible says that Jerusalem is the mother of us all. And that's not necessarily stating that our doctrine started in Jerusalem. It did. The church had its beginning in Jerusalem. It did. But our citizenship has been changed from this world to the new Jerusalem. That is to come. The holy city that ascends out of heaven. Praise God. And Jerusalem is our hope. Abraham was a man that longed to see that city whose builder and maker was God. A city that hath foundations not laid by man, but made by God Himself. Now notice as we read on, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now under the law, there was a measure of light concerning God. But the law, being the fifth dispensation, did not offer to man all of the light. Now, when we look in the Bible, we find six distinct dispensations. The word dispensation simply means a period of time in which God dealt with man a particular way. We are now living in the sixth dispensation. The first dispensation was the dispensation of innocence. That's when Adam and Eve lived in the garden. They did not know what it was like to sin. 
That was spoiled by the devil coming and tempting Eve. Eve then partook of the fruit that God said was, uh, that, was that she should not take of. And that dispensation ended. The way that you can tell the ending of a dispensation is when you see judgment upon the human race in general and God then making a new covenant with man. Now after that dispensation, then we find the dispensation of conscience. This is when God began to talk to man through his conscience. He had broken, man had broken that live relationship that he had and broken his communication with God. It has been God's desire down through the ages to renew that same communication that Adam and Eve had with God or God had with them in the garden. Then the conscience dispensation was uh, spoiled by gross wickedness upon the face of the earth and it ended in the judgment of God upon man in the flood. Immediately after the flood, God laid down a new commandment and a new covenant with man. And we find that God put the government in the hands of man. If you notice, one important thing in Bible study is a recognition of the covenants in which God has made with man. Now, to give an example of this covenant, it during the covenant uh, that God had with man after they were expelled from the Garden of Eden... The Bible says the first, I say the first uh, sin, the first murder uh, was uh, performed by Cain. He murdered his brother Abel. Now God put a mark upon Cain and God told the entire human race, don't touch him. We don't want anybody killing him. If anybody seeks to kill him or even punish him, the Bible tells us that God shall have vengeance upon him sevenfold. In other words, if you touch Cain, whatever you do, I will put my curse upon you sevenfold to that which Cain uh, uh, received from the Lord. Now, if you notice, after the flood, God laid down another law with man and another covenant, put the government in the hands of man, and then God said, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That simply means that God enacted capital punishment. If you go out and kill somebody, I put the government in the hands of man and they shall come and seek you out and find you and bring you and try you. And if you're proven guilty, if you have really killed somebody, I'm going to allow man to shed your blood because you shed a man's blood. So you see how the, the dispensations vary in the Bible, and God's covenant changes from time to time. Now, in each dispensation, through the human government dispensation, into the promised dispensation, that is the age of the patriarchs, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, into the Old Testament law, we find a little more light being shed upon the, upon the true revelation of God and the true revelation of the ways of God. The dispensation that shed much light upon the ways of God was the law. But yet the law still lingered in the shadows of darkness. And man really did not understand or see God as God really was. After the dispensation of the law that ended with the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we see the church dispensation coming into existence. And this is when we receive light through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the church dispensation will end until God takes the church out of the world. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul is saying, that you were in or under the law, and while you were under the law, he said that you automatically blinded your eyes. In other words, you just uh, looked at God from a very distorted view. You didn't seek for any more light. And now Jesus Christ has come along, and you still do not seek for any more light. But even until this day, verse 15, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn unto the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. In other words, when you turn to God, when you turn unto the Lord, that veil that keeps you in the shadows or in the peripheries of darkness, that veil will be taken away. Verse 17 Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so the Bible is telling us, God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him, according to John 4, 24, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Ye shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Now notice verse 18, But we all with open face beholding, as in a glass the glory of the Lord had changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are transformed or changed into the same image of the Son of Man by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by an operation of the Spirit. Chapter 4 is a continuation of the very same subject. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we faint not. Now he's talking about coming into a kingdom of light. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, notice this, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world. Now notice he begins to talk about this kingdom of the devil. He talks about the kingdom of his dear son. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the kingdom of darkness. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Who is the image of God should shine unto them. So you see the contrasting kingdoms here. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light explained in the Bible. Now the Bible tells us that light hath no fellowship with darkness. That means that simply means that when you come to God and uh, when you begin to walk with God, that uh, uh, your understanding is is opened up. Have you ever met a person and you try to communicate with them and somehow you just couldn't rendezvous? You just couldn't you couldn't get with it. They were on a different plane from you. You really didn't understand if maybe they were above you intellectually, below you, or somewhere out beside you. 
But for some reason, you just didn't make a connection. And you see, the two kingdoms that are in the world just cannot get together. They can't make a connection. They're on entirely different planes. They think in a different fashion. They work in a different fashion. Their motives are different. Their, their, uh, their entire concepts are different. Uh, their reasoning is different. Uh, responsibilities are different. Uh, uh, viewpoints, everything is different. And this is why the Bible says that light hath no fellowship with darkness. So the people of the two kingdoms of the world do not have fellowship. Now when I say fellowship, I'm talking the breaking down of activities to find a common ground. There is no common ground. Now when Jesus was here, He went to the household of sinners. He ate with them. He communicated to some degree with people of the kingdom of darkness. He did it for a reason. Because His total mission here was to establish a new kingdom. When He first began to preach, and when John even announced the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, what did He say? The kingdom of God is at hand. And what He's saying about the kingdom of God is at hand, He said, now Christ has come to establish a new kingdom. A kingdom unlike all the kingdoms that man has ever known. A kingdom unlike all uh, of the kingdoms that have ever known. He's come to establish an everlasting kingdom. One that will stand. You see, there never has been a kingdom that has existed for a long period of time. The Romans were in existence for over 400 long years. But now they remain. Uh, I say now they, they do not remain. They are not there anymore. We go back past the Romans to the great Grecian Empire. When we see Alexander the Great as he went out and conquered all the known world. But now the Grecian Empire has fallen. We go back to the Babylonians. And when we see that great kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar's grandson and the other kings thought uh, that, thought that uh, it will stand forever. We've got our walls that are built so high and so strong and so mighty. But now the Babylonians are not in existence. They have all fallen we go to the ancient world and look at the ruins of great cities like Jericho that was built four times and yet it does not exist today in the fashion in which it existed. Kingdoms shall pass and kings themselves shall die. But the Bible declares that there shall come one to the throne of David that shall establish an everlasting kingdom whose goings forth has been from old, from everlasting and the Bible tells us He shall sit upon the throne of David with the scepter in His hand to reign and to rule forever and ever and ever. And when the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God is at hand, what John the Baptist was saying, he's saying, now has come the time when the fullness of time has come, when the world can no longer exist without a Redeemer, when the world can no longer stand without a Savior, when man is making his mad dash into a hell, the kingdom of God reaches out to, to seek and to save those that would uh, want to enter into a new way of life. Now, they put Jesus Christ upon the cross and crucified Him. The reason why is because there were too many people of this adverse kingdom that just couldn't understand Him. They just, regardless of how hard they thought, regardless of how hard they tried, they just could not understand uh, the Lord. And so they put him to death. They put him in a grave, and uh, the grave couldn't hold him. They, they put him there, and it just couldn't hold him. 
But even after he arose from the dead, people still couldn't understand. They wagged their heads and said, surely this must have been the Son of God. They, they knew when gross darkness came there in mid-afternoon that, and an earthquake came. and They knew something, but they just seemingly just didn't get with it. They just couldn't understand it. Just no way could they understand it. This is what I'm talking to you about tonight because this is what I feel is happening in the world today that some people do not understand. In fact, I know it's happening today and, and possibly some of you do not even understand it. So I want you to follow through a few things that I really feel that the Lord would have me to talk to you about. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they changed their entire nature. Now, Adam and Eve were made in the image and in the likeness of God. There's no question about that. I believe that uh, innate in all people uh, is good. But there is an overruling uh, bad element that's there. It overrules the good side. It's there. People walk in this kingdom. They're born in this kingdom. You see, in Exodus, the 20th chapter, verse 4, when the Lord begins to explain the Ten Commandments, and He begins to explain the breaking of these commandments, the first thing that He says after He explains that He is the great God, they should have no other gods, no images, or anything like this, He said that the sin of their iniquity is transferred to the third and the fourth generation to them that hate the Lord. Now, the word hate here doesn't mean that they just go out and curse God. Please keep that in mind. It's like when the Lord said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Well, the word hate here does not mean hate like we know hate. It's like the word love. It's so grossly misunderstood sometimes. The word hate as used here simply means that God disfavored them or did not favor them as much because of. And, and so when the Bible says that Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, God loved Jacob more than Esau. Why? Because Esau chose the way of the Lord. The people that walk in God's kingdom today, the Bible says they are the apple of His eye. The apple of His eye simply means that they find favor in the eyes of the Lord. When God looked at them, He looked at them with great appeasement, with great satisfaction. Praise God. And so... When the Bible speaks of the transferring of sin to the third and the fourth generation, it does not necessarily mean that it stops with the third generation and the fourth generation, but it simply means that from one generation to the next, down through the years, sin is transferred. Now, if sin can be transferred to three and four generations, and you begin to look at the outcome of some of these children and some of these families in which the Lord has not been given the privilege to deal with them due to iniquity, what in the world can we expect in a generation like ours in which it has been transferred thousands of years, literally thousands of years? There is a buildup of iniquity in the world. You know, a lot of confusion rests in this thought. They look at, at countries where the name of Jesus has never been preached. And they say, God is doing them an injustice by sending them to hell because they are non-believers. They are non-believers because they've never had a chance. 
And we look at, we look at all of this and we say, surely God is not a just God when He would punish people that have never heard. But we got to remember this about God and about the kingdom that we see in this world. It is not God's desire that anybody walk in darkness. These people have walked in darkness simply because there has been imputed from generation to generation iniquity from one parent to child at down, excuse me, down through the years, on and on and on. And now we're seeing in our world today, 2,000 years since Calvary, and even dating back past Calvary, the iniquity of the hearts of man transferred from generation to generation. There never has been an age quite like this age of evil that we live in. And I can say this, the two kingdoms that we see in the world today, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, are probably more separable as far as the evidence of them than, they ever ha- than there ever has been. This is the day in which people are making a real stand for God, and the ones that are not, they are not interested at all in the Lord. And so there's a real division in the kingdom of darkness and in the kingdom of light. Now, you can meet some people and talk with them, and as you talk with them, they just, uh, they can't understand. You can, you can talk to them in, about the Bible. Now, I personally believe that, that there are many things that are revealed to us. All things in the kingdom of God are revealed to us. I used to shy away from the word uh, revelation because I, I thought that uh, people couldn't understand what I was saying. You know, when they say, you mean I've got to be baptized in Jesus' name? Uh, yes, you, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. And people would say, well, uh, why? And I'd show them in the Bible, I don't understand it. Well, I used to shy away from telling them that, that this is really a mystery. It comes only by divine revelation. It'll come only while working of the Spirit upon you. Uh, but I began to search the Bible a little closer, and, and I think that that's absolutely right. I don't think that a man can just sit down and look at the Bible and say, hey, you know, I need to do this. I want to get up and go do it. I, I don't think it's possible for him to do that. Because, you see, there are times when he feels that he ought to do things, and yet at the same time he doesn't really have the revelation. It's like the Godhead. To understand the mighty God in Christ, it does take a revelation. There has to be something happen in the mind. There's got to be, there's, the Spirit has to work on the mind and open the mind and unfold the mind for a man to understand that Jesus Christ was the mighty God robed in human flesh. It has to come by revelation. And I've known at times when new converts would come and I'd say, look, you need to really read the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Read the Bible. Let the word of God perform that operation on you. And then I'd ask them later, did you receive the revelation? Nope, I didn't get it. And so we'd go another week, did you receive the revelation? Nope, I didn't get it. And all of a sudden, the phone would ring, and I'd pick up the phone, and there would be the happiest person on the other end of the line that you have ever heard from in your life. Oh, Brother Grant, Brother Grant, Brother Grant. I said, wait a minute, what's happening? Oh, I was reading my Bible today. I was praying, and you can't believe what happened to me. The revelation of the mighty God in Christ was given to me. 
That's why the Bible says to whom the mysteries of the kingdom are given to. Praise God. All of a sudden the mind unfolds and opens up. And you walk into a new kingdom. A kingdom that's light. You understand and you see things like you have never seen them before. And I think as long as we are in the light, we are to walk in the light. Sometimes we get the idea that, you know, we got the revelation. And so that's it. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible says if we are in the light, we are to walk in the light. And walking doesn't mean sitting. You know, sometimes we use the scripture, we sit in heavenly places with Christ. That's applicable. I believe it. But on the other hand, this is not a sit-down situation. It's a walking situation. We walk and man's constant quest is, let me know more of you, God. Let me know more of the light. Let me know more of your ways. Give me more, God. I want more. I want more. I want more. Now, when you get more, it doesn't mean that it nullifies what you received in the past. But it is a walk in the light with God. Praise God. And so here we are. We've got the two kingdoms. The two kingdoms. I guess one of the most horrifying movies that I've ever seen in my life, when I was a kid, I saw this Dracula movie. And I just... uh, Something I don't really like to think about because it's so unreal. And, uh, <clears throat> but perhaps uh, to go through a little bit of this, explain uh, a certain truth of the Bible a little better. Now, all of you are familiar with Dracula, are you? Some of you don't know who Dracula was. He really never was. It was just a story. But Dracula was this guy that had these fangs And he was a vampire. And I remember uh, this uh, guy that's supposed to be so handsome, see. He's all dressed up, you know. Got his hair all slicked down, his bow tie on. He's a businessman. He's meeting Count Dracula. But, But you see, there was another side to Dracula that most of the people of society didn't see. He was more than just a uh, on-the-level businessman. He had a few shady things that he did when nobody was around. And so the first time that I ever saw uh, this, I just I couldn't believe that, that anybody had even put anything together like this. You know, it was so ridiculous. But here this handsome guy walks out in the garden. There's a beautiful young lady out there, and she's waiting for her. Her date. You know how they do in the movies. They set everything up, you know, and they got they got all the grapes hanging from the lattices, and oh, they just got the flowers all, everything just so so. So here it is, and here this young lady is. Well, Dracula walks up, and he begins to talk to her, and all of a sudden he gets this weird look in his eyes, and she said, "What are you looking at me like this for?" Of course, he goes at her throat, you know, <laughs> sucks the blood right out of her neck. And then, of course, he leaves. Now, I'm not really for sure what takes place in all this, but there's a certain spell cast upon this girl. She becomes bloodthirsty herself. In walks the innocent young man looking for his date, and he sees her over there. And so he, his heart, you know, is beating fast and He's ready to take her out to one of the finer restaurants of town. So down the trail he goes 
across the cobblestone steps and down to where she was sitting there underneath the grapes. And so he walks up to her and grabs her and hugs her and she doesn't respond. She's cold. He pushes her back and looks at her and, Judy, uh, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing is wrong. You're changed. What's happened to you? Nothing. And uh, he said, what's going on here? Nothing. And so, he just can't communicate with her. Something wrong there. Just, they're just kind of on a different level. She's been influenced or changed by this horrible, ugly creature. Now she has established a new goal in her life. She's no longer affectionate. She's no longer loving. She doesn't care for for sirloin steaks and baked potatoes anymore. She's bloodthirsty. But she's got to play it cool. Because this guy is no dummy. And so he's trying to talk with her. What happened? Nothing. Something wrong with you. So he sits down by her in the swing, you know, there in the breeze and begins to talk. Why are you acting so strange? Why are you so cold? Then all of a sudden he he discovers these scars on her neck. What are those red spots on your neck? And she says, look a little closer. When he gets down there, well, then the lights go out, you know. What happens is she... (laughs) It's kind of... The reason why this is so strange is because it's just kind of... It's so mysterious. It's just hard to understand that people can be so... So far apart in their ways of thinking. And you know, this is a very similar thing happened when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Satan came by with his poisonous venom and changed the desires and affections of Eve. And she wasn't going to be happy until she changed Adam. And she went to him. And first, he was very skeptical. No, I don't want of that fruit. The Lord said, but now Satan said. Well, he just didn't see eye to eye with her. I can't understand this. And you know, that's exactly what the devil does today. His whole job is to keep people in blindness, to, to cast a spell upon them, and to keep them. If, if somehow... If somehow somebody could come by and deliver the world. And this was the whole point of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross. To take men out of that kingdom of darkness and put him into a kingdom of marvelous light. Now, let's go to something else here that uh, might help us in our explanation of the Bible. Why so many churches? Have you ever asked yourself this question, why are there so many churches in the world? Just tell me why. 
Well, I have people that ask me that all the time. Brother Grant, why so many churches? If you're so right, why don't everybody believe like you? Well, I tell them that's their problem. I don't really know. Praise God. And I know when I make these statements, you're going to say, Brother Grant, you mean you believe that you have to belong to Calvary Gospel Church in order to go to heaven? I've had people say, Pastor Grant believes that you've got to belong to Calvary Gospel Church to go to heaven. Now, I've never said that. I have never said that. I have gone this far to say I think your chances are better. I have gone that far. And people have said, Brother Grant believes that nobody's going to heaven unless they go to his church. I got news. I think we got some that come here won't go. You understand what I'm trying to say? When we say, why so many churches? Basically, we're talking about not how many buildings, but we're talking about why so many doctrines in the world today? Why so many doctrines? Remember this, that your interpretation of Scripture is determined by the measure in which you are willing to walk in the Spirit. And this is the problem. The Bible says, when He, the Spirit of truth, shall come, He shall guide you or lead you into all truths. The purpose of the Spirit of God working inside of you is to lead you into the full truth. It begins to work with you when you are in the kingdom of darkness. It continues to work with you and guide you when you are in the kingdom of light. That's an important thing to understand. But your interpretation of the Scripture is always determined by the measure in which you walk in the light. Now, <clears throat> the Bible says the carnal mind cannot know the things of the Spirit. It cannot even contain it. Why? Because the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. Your interpretation of the Scripture will, determine, will be determined by the measure in which you allow the Spirit to to work inside of you. Well, there, there are scriptures that I read at times, and I think, man, this is, a, this, is a, this is a gold mine. And I begin to read it and begin to pray about it, and I realize it's not only a gold mine. My friend, it's got more than gold in there. It's full of diamonds. It's full of all kinds of precious jewels. It's full of everything. When I really begin to look at it, and I say, why didn't I see this to start with? But you see, the interpretation of Scripture is always determined by the measure of the Spirit that you are willing to walk in. And some people are only willing to go just so far with God. They are afraid to go any further. For some reason, they, they lock in on one precious truth in the Bible and they don't desire to go any further. <clears throat> now, Jesus said, He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. Now, listen to this. You can hear, but not hear. Just like you can see and not see. Now, as a father, I have learned to hear many things and yet not comprehend. Uh, there are certain times when I can sit in the house and my boys are talking about something that I feel they ought not be talking about. I can pick it up. 
But if they're talking about things I think they ought, that's okay, I usually don't even pick it up. And they can be making all kinds of noise. All of a sudden they'll change subjects and maybe gossip a little. You know, preachers, kids gossip. And all of a sudden I'll pick it up and I say, wait a minute. We're not doing anything, Dad. I said, you said something about a young person of the church. Now, you're not supposed to be talking about them. Isn't that true? You're not supposed to be talking about them. But it's true, but you don't tell everything that's true. Well, I believe in saying whatever is on my heart. The Bible says, only a fool speaketh all of his heart. <clears throat> Isn't that right? And yet there are times when they're just talk, 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 and the wife's talk, 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 and I don't catch any of it. I mean not any of it. It's like driving down the highway. I had the job one time of driving all the way from Texas back to Shano. That's a long ways from here. Shano is 150 miles north of here. I drove almost 24 straight hours. I did so out of necessity. And after you drive that long, you just see the road. And you wonder if you... I go through towns and I think, now did I go through that town or where am I? You know? You can see, but you don't see. And this is what Jesus was trying to say. You know, you can hear all you want to hear, but there are certain things that you cannot comprehend. Have you ever tried to work an algebra problem? And you work 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 and work and work and work and work and you say, it does not have a solution. It cannot be worked. And all of a sudden, just in the middle of the night, you wake up and wow, there's the answer. I got it. I saw the light. Now, this is what happens when you walk with God. I do not believe that a man unintentionally stumbles across truth, understands it, and walks in it. Not unintentionally. You are in the church of God tonight, not by accident. You are here by divine order. You wanted it. You desired it. You sought after it. And God revealed it to you. So here we are in the church tonight. Now let me say something about being in the church. I do not believe that simply because that you're in the church that you are where God wants you. I believe that you can walk in the kingdom of light and after you've gotten into the kingdom the periphery, that's the, 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 the shadowy areas of the, the dark kingdom. And you can live out there in the the shadows of the devil and his kingdom. Now to give you an example of what I saw. You see, your burden... To see people saved is also determined by your revelation. If you don't walk in the Spirit, 
the revelation is not given to you. If I were to ask you this, how many people believe in hell? All the hands would go up. I mean, you really believe in hell. Then they go up. I mean, you really, really believe in hell. And you begin to think about it, and uh, yes, I put my hand up. We all believe in a hell. And when I say we all believe in a hell, I'm talking about a hell that burns white with hot flowing lava or brimstone. A place where the soul of man shall die eternally. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. In Revelation 20, when the Bible says, This is the second death, a place where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. The second death is referred back to John 8, 24, Except ye believe in I, that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. And so the Bible speaks of a place of torment, where the souls of men shall go, and they shall burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. A place of eternal confinement. A place where we are cast into outer darkness. A bottomless pit that belches up eternally the fires of hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's such a horrible place that if somehow God could just open the curtain of eternity and let us all look in, we would all go insane. We say we believe in it, but we have no burden for the lost. Why? Because you see, our burden is determined by our revelation of God. Now, to give you an example. <clears throat> you see, you say, you know, I, I really believe in hell. You give an altar call and the altar fills up. Okay. But you want to sit over on the side and talk about fishing. And all the while you say, I'm glad I'm in the light. You're not in the light. Because you don't have the revelation. Well, I understand all about Jesus' name baptism. That's not what we're talking about. When the Bible says, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is a symbol of reaching out. It's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of strength. And when the Bible says, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The Bible is saying, who in the world among you has the revelation of what God is really trying to do on this planet earth? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So you see, we can walk into the kingdom and still somehow stray off out into the peripheries in the shadows of darkness. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The revelation of His arm. Let's talk about that just for a minute. The revelation of His arm. Now you see, <clears throat> when we talk about a burden, we say, I want a burden. How do we get a burden? Well, we say, I'm going to get in prayer. So you get down and you just pray. And you pray and you pray and pray. And you pray and you pray and you pray. Oh, I want the Spirit. I want the Spirit. I want God to open. I want God to open my mind. Let me see hell. Let me see. Oh, God, I just really need to see it. <clears throat> you know, there are some things, however, that will not come to you until your knowledge is broadened. Now, to give you an example, <clears throat> just yesterday we were all out on the buses. We were near Mark's Big Boy on Park Street. Somewhere in that area, there is a bar. 
And as we drove past the bar, we saw an old man and three or four teenagers out there fighting. At first I thought they were just playing, kidding, see. And then I realized, hey, no, they're not. I mean, these people are serious. And all of a sudden, there was a young lady among them that just got a hold of this old man, and she just began to slug him and everything else. Well, her boyfriend, I guess her boyfriend, tried to pull her away. But the old gentleman jumped in the car. And, boy, she's trying. She opens the door, and she's slugging at him and everything and kicking at him. And, and so I just sat there in the bus. I wanted to see what was happening, see. So uh, finally her boyfriend pulled her off the car, and he put his arm around her, you know, and you know what happens. You know, so uh, then while he was kind of making love to her, the old gentleman just backed up, aimed his car at them, and put it in gear, and oh, wow, wait, took out. And, I mean, he just ran right into that boy and uh, kind of knocked him over to one side, and he pulled the girl out of the way. And then the boy got mad. And, boy, he went over there, and he just started slugging the window. And, you know, when I looked at all that, I thought, wow. You know, it, it's pretty hard to believe. It's really hard to believe what that other side is like. I saw it with my eyes, and I, I, felt, I felt something there. And God began to talk to my heart as I went down the street. And you feel your burden through just this knowledge. It begins to build up inside of you. The Spirit begins to talk. You see the need. You, you know what God's talking about. A couple of years ago, I read in the paper where a guy suspected his wife was having an affair with a man. And he, rode, he drove a cement truck. And so he just went by the house, and sure enough, here's the man's car parked down in front. He just drives up there, lowers the window just so far, and fills the whole car with cement. You know, you, you take a look at this other kingdom. You, but you really take a look at it. And you really ask God, Lord, I need a new revelation of your arm. Let me know, God, what this world is like. Not that I want to, not that I, I'm interested in going out there and doing what they're doing. But I'll never have a burden until I see the need. I read in a paper a couple of years ago where a man operating a heavy crane swung around with a heavy load and the man doing the swamping down below. That's the man hooking the chains and such got mad at him. He just reached up and swore at him like that. The man swung the load over his head and dropped it. Killed him. You see, we read about all those things and we see all those things. And this is why when we see people come into our church and make their way down to God at an altar, and we see unconcerned people sitting on the back, sitting on the sides, talking and going around, doing nothing. I want to say, oh, children... You need a revelation of His mighty arm. 
To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And that entire chapter speaks of Christ dying on the cross. Reaching out to man. Grace is more than love reaching out. Grace is love reaching down to man. There's more to this revelation than just saying, I know the Godhead, and I know Jesus' name, baptism, and I know when the, the rapture's going to take place. There's more to it than that. Why so many churches, you see the measure of your interpretation of the Scripture is always determined by your willingness to walk in the Spirit. And we better understand that we see so many churches out there not teaching the truth. It's better understood when we take a look at our own lives as we claim to walk in the Spirit. When God is trying to do just as much right in here as He is for them out there, and sometimes He cannot do it! Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. The revelation of his arm. This is symbolical. His arm, his power, his authority, his ability to perform, his ability to work. The Bible says his promises are yea and amen. And this is something I've been excited about. Brother George and I listened to a tape the other day and I got all excited about the rapture. And man, I'll tell you, I couldn't I couldn't rest. I I prayed, I sought God, I just I just I couldn't rest. You know how it is. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says. You know the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But the Bible says the Word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, can somebody tell me what the Word of the Lord will do? It'll cut. Okay? Now, a two-edged sword simply means it will cut in both directions. Okay? All right. When it swings to the right, it cuts. Comes back to the left, it cuts. Okay. That's the way it is. Now in Hebrews 4 verse 12, and somebody just turned, a bunch of you turned there. Help me see. Now the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, where does it cut to? All right, the Bible says dividing the soul and the spirit. Now let me ask you this. Can you explain the soul of man? The soul of man is the seat of emotions. Jesus said, Now is my soul exceedingly troubled. See? The soul of man is the seat of his emotions. In other words, what the Bible is saying, that spirit's going to get right down between your very life and your very emotions, right down where you think. And it can divide the spirit from the soul. I want the Holy Ghost to perform an operation in this place tonight for some of you. I want you to leave this place saying, this service changed me. I promised before God 
And all the witnesses here tonight that I won't be the same when I leave. The reason why we don't pray at the altar is because we're not letting that word get right down in that emotional part of us. We're stopping it. And we're wondering why in the world doesn't all the world know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They stop short of salvation. We get it and then we say no. And we walk out in the peripheries in the shadows of the other kingdom. But the Bible says the word of the Lord is quick. Quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit. But it doesn't stop there. What else does it do? To the joints. The joints. Wow. Like Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. It's moving me. It's doing something to me. Hallelujah. It gets down inside the heart, the seat of the emotions, and it begins to move. Into my soul it goes. It uses me. It's in my bones now. It's in my joints. It's in the marrow. Praise God. It's all over me. Praise God. You see, when we sing, it's the Holy Ghost and fire, and it's keeping me alive. What the apostle said in him, we live, and we move, and we breathe, and we have our being. Those apostles understood that they were spirit motivated. They walked in the spirit. The spirit got down inside of them. It was their very life. It was the unction of their heart. It was the unction of their soul. And this is why the arm of the Lord was revealed to them. Praise God. To whom is the work of the Lord revealed? Oh yeah, I know there's a hell, and I know there's a heaven, and I know there's a Jesus Christ, and I know there's water baptism in Jesus' name, and I know there's a Holy Ghost, and people ought to speak with tongues, and we ought to have spiritual gifts, so what? Now, if you don't believe that the revelation can be taken away from the church, read in Revelation 3 concerning the Laodiceans. The revelation was taken away from them. This is why the Spirit said, Go and anoint their eyes with eye salve, that the scales may fall from their eyes, that they may see again. The revelation was taken away from the church of Laodicea. And brothers and sisters, if I know anything about the Bible, I know we are living in the Laodicean church age in which the revelation was taken away from the mighty people that held in their hands the revelation of His name. Oh, hallelujah. And that's why we as apostolics need to march back and say, God, 
Give me a revelation of your arm, your mighty arm, your mighty power, your mighty authority, your outreach, your work in the earth. Give it back to me, God. When the preacher talks about soul winning, let it be more than words that fall upon my deaf ears. When he talks about hell, let it be more, oh God, than words of poetry that bounce off the walls. When we pray, let it be more than words vain spokenly. But oh God, let it reach out. Let it reach the heavens. Now let me tell you something. You see, the Bible says the promises of God are yea and amen. And I personally believe that this church will not be raptured until she reaches the glory and which is fulfilled our promise in prophecy. This church will fulfill that. That's why the Bible says uh, that God's promises are yea and amen. He's begging us, whatsoever you ask, I will do it. He's saying, come on church, ask me, believe me, let my arm be revealed among you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You say you believe in healings. Go back and read Isaiah 53. I was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquity, and by my stripes ye are healed if you're sick. Ask of me, if you don't understand it, pray that the revelation of my arm will come to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And some of you are out there and you're saying, well, I don't know if God wants to heal me or not. My friend, He took stripes upon His back 2,000 years ago. You need to pray. Let the arm of the Lord be revealed to me again. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Praise God. Well, I don't know if God wants to move in this city anymore. Listen, the Bible says he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a dumb sheep before his sheriff was he slain. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, he does want to save the lost. He does. He does. He does. He does. I believe that I'm preaching to people right here that's never won a soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. Someday you're going to walk up that long, long, cold hall that leads to the white throne and you're going to be judged along with all the world. I'd hate to know that I stood there and I'd say, Lord, I was too busy to teach a search for truth. I was too busy to help a new convert. I was too busy to pray at the altar. I was too busy to go out on a bus route. I didn't have time to teach Sunday school. God, I just didn't have time. And this is why he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Why? You didn't receive my revelation. You didn't know what it was all about. You didn't know there was a burden hell hallelujah 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 but oh god you don't understand my schedule i was so busy making a living i had two jobs and the life had one lord you know how it was in our present society oh yes he knew he knew but the bible says we stand without excuse His promises are yea and amen. You see, the church dispensation will not close until his covenant with his church has been fulfilled. He always fulfills his covenant. This is why he's going to go back and visit the household of Israel during the tribulation period. Why? Because he made a covenant with them and he's going to fulfill that before, before eternity. He tells Israel, I made a covenant with you you rejected my name. I went out and sought the Gentiles. I made a covenant with them. 
and His covenant with us will be fulfilled. That's one thing God has always been interested in. That's His covenant that He makes with His people. He made that covenant with Abraham. And He said, Abraham, all the world should be blessed from the seed that comes forth from your loins. He said, your seed shall be as a sand of the sea and as the stars of the heaven. They shall be. And He said, my covenant shall be an everlasting covenant. And all the nations shall bow down before you and call you blessed. I will let you eat of the fat of the lamb and the the dew of the crops. Everything, everything shall be yours. And the Bible declares that that covenant that God made with Abraham has never been fulfilled. And God says, I'm going to go back in the tribulation period and I'm going to fulfill my promises to my household. Now if that be true, even so in our dispensation, the dispensation of the church, every promise He made with us, He says, I'm going to fulfill it. Praise God. I'm going to fulfill it. Ask of me. There is a cry coming from the very portals of heaven from God Himself tonight. He's crying out to the church, Come on, church, rise up and ask of me. Come on, church, rise up. Believe in me. That's why the prophets of old says uh, concerning God, Command me ye, saith the Lord. In other words, my promises are so sure that when they're not prevalent in your life, stand up and command me. Give up to me, God. I command you. You made a covenant with me. Give it to me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Praise God. Praise God. Lord, give it to us. We command you, Lord, give it to us. God, let your Holy Spirit get down deep inside of our minds, in our hearts, down deep inside of our joints, in our bones, and in our marrow. Let us believe it. Let us believe it. Let us believe it. Give us a revelation, oh God. Give us a revelation of your word. Give us a revelation of your will. Let us believe it with all of our heart. Let us have healings. Let us have miracles. Let us have a revival that will turn the city of Madison upside down. Hallelujah. Woo, glory. Let's lift our hands together and worship the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, he's marching through the land. He's seeking out servants. He's looking for people that will believe him. People that will trust in him. People that will stand up in command of him. Praise God. He says, my covenant must be fulfilled with my people. Somebody believe me. Somebody trust in me. Somebody get a hold of it. Hallelujah. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Give me the revelation of your outstretched arm, of your power and your authority. Let me know all about it, God. Let me see the lost weep their way to Calvary. Let me see the crippled and the lame get up out of the hospital beds and out of the wheelchairs and walk away. Give me that revelation, God. Open it up to me. Oh, God.
Have you let it get down deep inside of your soul, your spirit? Have you let it get deep down inside of your bones tonight? Hallelujah. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. But that word sure goes deep. Give it to me, God. Give it to me. Give it to me. Oh, God. Let's all pray together right now. That God would give us a new revelation. A new revelation. I'm talking about let us see the lost. Let us see His promises by faith fulfilled. Spirit is working right now. Would you just open your mind? And would you ask God to work inside of your heart right now? He wants to perform miracles. He wants to fulfill His covenant. It will be fulfilled. Somebody somewhere will listen to His beckoning call. Somebody somewhere before the close of this dispensation will preach it to all people everywhere. Somebody somewhere will teach them search for truth. Somebody somewhere will pray around the altar with them. Somebody somewhere. Why not here? Give us a revelation, God. Give us the revelation of your mighty arm. To whom is the arm of the Lord
Then we have some people here that the Lord would like to save. If you do not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and ever been baptized in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now. I know that it is. Do you understand what He's trying to do? Do you understand that He loves you? He has a better place prepared for you than where you dwelt in the past. If you'll just stand up and come right down here to the altar and kneel and pray like these men are that are down here already, God will come and visit your heart, open your understanding, and give you enlightenment. Would you come? Come on.